Welcome to the Cultist King Podcast. This is your host, the Duke, and my co-host, Rambling Bones. Hello. And today we are doing Dario Argento's 1985 film, Phenomena. Yes, and the deep lore on this is we recorded it three times, decided we didn't like it, and uh, scrapped it, and then right. did the giant claw. No, the giant claw was originally going to be episode two, but now that we've gotten a few podcasts under our, our uh, belts here, we're going to take another swing at Phenomena, because it really is a phenomenal movie. Stop. <laughs> well, since it was my pick, I'll go ahead and give you the synopsis, but just before we start here... I'm going to start with what I would call a soft synopsis. I'm just going to give you the bare details. If you listen to the synopsis and us starting to talk about this, or beforehand if you've uh, seen the poster for this film or something or heard of it and are thinking that you might want to watch it, go ahead and just put us on pause and go watch it first. Because after the synopsis is over and we start getting into the rest of it, we're going to talk more and more about things that are going to be major spoilers. So if you care about that sort of thing, you really should get out now, all right? So, starting us off, basically this movie is about Jennifer Corvino, played by Jennifer Connelly. She is the daughter of a big American movie star, and she is going to boarding school somewhere in the Swiss Alps. Why she's there, there are two major things going on. One is that around this area, there are several murders taking place. Lots of young women are turning up dead. The other thing that's significant is that we find that Jennifer seems to have an odd relationship with insects. They tend to be excited by her. They never Bees don't sting her. Bugs don't bother her. Um, she almost has sort of a telepathic relationship with them. Also important is uh, Donald Pleasant's character, who is a uh, Scottish entomologist by the name of uh, Professor John McGregor, uh, who's bound to a wheelchair. Uh, he has a uh, chimp nurse who uh, takes care of most of his needs, but the movie actually opens up after a grisly murder with him being consulted because he's usually basically looking at what insects are on the corpse and how long, how big they are, how many groups there are to determine how long um, the body's been uh, since it was murdered. So Jennifer and her him eventually hook up and uh, they start to kind of explore Jennifer's relationship with the insects. Jennifer gets kicked out of boarding school. Well, she doesn't really get kicked out of boarding well, school. Well, they want to have her committed. Yeah. Uh, Things for, escalate. For some reason, the headmistress, just from the word go, has a vendetta against Jennifer. No, literally from the right at the beginning. And uh, her roommate gets murdered. She's having a rough time. For some reason, every student in the boarding school also, like, hates her. Except for her roommate, but she got murdered. Yeah. Some some might think that the writer has a persecution uh, <laughs> <laughs> problem. But anyway, so what uh, Donald Pleasant's character does is he introduces her to this fly known as the Great Sarcophagus, which is a real species of fly. And what's special about this fly is that it basically lays its larva in corpses. So it has a really good sense for finding them. So he sends out Jennifer and this fly to find the killer. And I'm going to go ahead and leave it there for our initial synopsis. Do you think that works for you, Mr. Yeah, Bones? Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I would just add that part of the reason uh, he's sending her out with a fly is because uh, he believes that the killer 
is keeping the corpses around. Yes. So where the, where the corpses are, the killer will be. Right. And since Jennifer has a special relationship with insects, he thinks that, uh, you know, she might be able to keep track of it and get it to get it to work with her. Yes. But no, that that's the soft synopsis right there. Right. So like I said, if this sounds interesting, go ahead and watch it now because now we're going to get into the meat and potatoes here. So what, uh, what things struck you, Bones, when you were watching this? So this is Dario Argento. And after seeing this a handful of times and seeing his other work, I would I would say that this is probably his last great film. And of his great films, it's his weakest link. But don't take that as it's bad. It's just I would not rank it uh, above the others. Uh, like Suspiria, like, Deep Red. Like Suspiria, Deep Red, uh, Tenebrae, Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Ar- if you don't know much about Argento, Argento is an Italian filmmaker uh, most closely associated with the giallo genre, which is one part mystery, one part slasher movie. It's very Italian. And so as his career progressed, he sort of moved away from just the the giallo and into more slasher movie territory. Right, and a lot of his early stuff was very distinctive. Like he had a very artistic like heavy style to his movies, especially his use of color. His first the first half of his career, his movies are all very interesting. However, his later work I would just avoid Anything after the 80s. Uh, Opera is the last watchable Argento movie, I would say. I guess I haven't watched all of them past Opera, but I did watch uh, Dracula 3D with Rutger Howard, and it was horrible. So horrible that we could talk about it. (laughs) We might, but I'm going to be honest. Uh, I wouldn't recommend you go watch that one. Uh, I would just leave, I would let us talk about that one and just never, never sully yourself. Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't know if he, I don't know, some people say he lost it. I think he just quit caring, but whatever it is, his, his later work does not compare to the genius of his early stuff. He, he might've learned about the cinema tax haven, uh, scheme and just decided that that was his career. Cause that's what his Movies in the 2000s feel like is tax havens. (laughs) Something to be written off. Something to be written off, yeah. But anyway, this might be his craziest movie. I mean, you have all kinds of things going on here. You have, I mean, obviously it's a kind of a Jallo movie, but it's also a supernatural thriller. It's even got a kind of a monster of sorts. I would almost say it's kind of confused. Like maybe he's throwing everything at the wall and it's all sticking, but maybe not sticking because it should. Well, and that's the thing about this movie is it is crazy. Um, and uh, one of, I think, things that critics picked at it a little bit for that I would say might be fair is that the plot is kind of a jumbled mess. Um, this is a movie that, you know, that might be a little bit of style over substance, but it, it's stylish enough that that's okay. The the three criticisms I saw were people didn't like some people didn't like the style, some people didn't like the acting and plot, 
And then some didn't like the uh, gore, which... I mean, why are you watching? Why, why are you watching this movie? Why are you watching an Argento film? Exactly. I mean, especially at that time, at nineteen eighty-five, if you're watching an Argento film to complain about the gore, I mean, that's like you were just setting yourself up to be unhappy. I will say the acting, though, some of it I you can dismiss as being lost in translation if you're watching the the English version of it. However, Jennifer Connelly, this is either. This is very, very early in her career. She doesn't necessarily emote a lot during some she's, of the scenes. She's not very good in this. Um, I don't know. For me, because this movie feels so dreamy. She can get away time, with it. <laughs> it almost, I think, works. Mm-hmm. I would even go as far to say. And you can feel free to disagree with me on that. Well, it, it it's not as bad as Labyrinth, I would say. Labyrinth <laughs> is, wow, this girl can't act. Hey, She'd go on later to have a long, long career, so she eventually got it. Yeah. But this uh, this is definitely an early effort from her. I think Donald Pleasance is excellent. I think there's some scenes where he's a little more Scottish than others, but <laughs> I've never seen Donald Pleasance in a movie not be good. I don't know about you. No, Donald, Donald Pleasance is one of those actors who, he's a, a good actor, and but in, in some movies, he is the best actor in a bad movie, or just a great actor in a good movie. Uh, he's he's never bad. I think one performance you shouldn't overlook here is uh, uh, Daria Nicolodi. Am I saying that correctly? Uh, yeah, Daria Nicolodi. So she plays a character known as Frau uh, Bruckner. And she's not the headmistress, but she works for the headmistress. Second the command. Yeah. Um, and for most of the movie, she's just this unassuming, mousy woman. Just kind of, you know, goofy, easy to dismiss. Well, so, major spoilers here. She is one of our two murderers. She has this son who has these, like, severe deformities and is just incredibly, well, for lack of a better word, insane. And not only is he a killer, but she becomes a killer later to cover up his crimes and keep him out of harm's way. And there's a scene where... Jennifer wants to go back home. The school wants to institutionalize her. She's ran away, and she wants to go back uh, to America. So Frau Bruckner says that he can stay with her and that they she'll get her on a plane. But there's a scene where she goes from being like this mousy woman to halfway through, you know, when she's in Frau Bruckner's house, a flip switches, and you immediately say, oh, there's something very wrong with this woman. You You instantly say, oh. We've ruled out every other possibility. She's the killer. Well, it's also <laughs> towards the part in the movie where there's like, hmm, we're running out of people who this can be. Well, so this movie does have like a, b- a bit of a murder mystery to it. But at the same time, there is such a small cast that unless they're about to pull out somebody you've never seen before or even alluded to, uh, there's only really one answer it can be. But... I will say she does give a pretty good performance in this movie. It's a little interesting, though. So her and Argento were married, uh, and they were married at the time of making this movie. After this movie, she said that she, she denounced this movie because of its portrayal of the disabled. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. Um, it's kind of goofy. Which Donald Pleasance is in a wheelchair, um, but other than that, like, 
Well, I think what she might have been upset about, because obviously Donald Pleasance is in a wheelchair, but he's obviously one of the most likable and intelligent characters in the film. It might have been that uh, her son in the movie, I think Dario was inspired by seeing pictures of like uh, babies who suffered from like Patel syndrome or something. Mm-hmm. But obviously he, they changed it a lot. The kid doesn't really seem to suffer from any true disability other than being born a movie monster yeah i don't know i also i don't know why she waited till after filming this i mean surely she saw this well you see my my theory is that this was just an excuse uh because they were having marital issues and after this movie they divorced despite saying that she would not work with him again they did work with each other again was it an opera yeah opera um two years after this movie, they worked together again on opera. Yeah, they're both kind of nutty. We we sort of mentioned Argento and the things you see in Argento movies, but this movie is like all of the things you see in Argento movies just crammed into one film. So you've got Daria Nicolodi and uh, his daughter, Fiore Argento, I might be horribly butchering her name, and both of them die because Argento kills off his wife and daughter in so many of his movies. Uh, later, he would go on to kill his daughter, uh, Asia, or I believe I'm pronouncing that right. I'm not Italian. Yeah, I'm not Italian either, but his other daughter he had with Daria, he would kill her off in a bunch of movies. He There's a lot of POV shots from the killer, and there's always a black glove killer. The hands committing the killing are always his hands. Uh, Heads going through windows. Yes, that happens at least twice in this film. It happens twice, but the first time it happens, I don't know if I noticed it really the first time, but the second time it really sent up like question marks in my head because the movie opens up with Argento's daughter, walking uh, through the countryside and she accidentally ends up at the killer's house and we you know you see these chains break off of a wall and this this killer in this scene is the little boy which raises some questions i'm gonna get into in a second but she she gets chased down to this weird sort of like rocky waterfall type I don't know, it looks like a state park to me, but yeah, I, I don't... Yeah, it's obviously some sort of nature area. And she's running through this this rocky path area up to the very top, essentially. And there's a hole in this rock wall. And there's just a window. But it, it doesn't even look like it fits or like it's supposed to be there. There's I... just a window in the side of this wall... And her head goes through it. Yeah, so I'm not sure if that was something that you would really see there or if they're just like, we need to put a girl through a window. <laughs> yeah. I guess there's going to have to be a window here. But uh, yeah, that was one of the issues I had, and I didn't even think about this till this viewing, but during then we're led to believe, re-watching this, that the son is the killer at that time. But uh, not only is his POV not very low to the ground... But, uh, I don't know, this kid's pulling up some stuff that, <laughs> this kid's gotta have some superhuman strength. Well, he was born he a monster. <laughs> yeah, but he wasn't born like a big monster. He's still, <laughs> he's still, uh, bite-sized. Well, hey, at the end of the movie, when there's the big confrontation, he's really, uh, 
punching above his weight. So he's, well, he also has a giant spear. So yeah. Oh, that's another Argento thing is weird killer weapons. Yeah, the thing that makes uh, Argento movies fun is even though, you know, there's a lot of slasher tropes in there, he's always very inventive with the scenes. And one weapon that gets used a few times in this movie is like this, it's like this three-part metal spear. Yeah, it it's like it's got a, you know, little locking mechanisms at each segment, so... You get three shots of it being put together, and I don't know, like, what... It's not like Freddy Krueger's glove, where you know, you know, oh, Freddy made this himself. It's like, oh, this was professionally made. What is it for in real life? Or is it for anything in real life, and they just made it for the movie because it looked cool? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe this is a real thing that serves a purpose somewhere in real life, but... uh, uh... I'm I'm too dumb to know what it is. Uh, the only thing it really looks good for is uh, spearing uh, high school girls. Yeah, I which guess. Which it does very effectively. Yeah, quite a bit. One of my favorite scenes in the movie, uh, this one got me so bad the first time because a lot of times I'm pretty good at predicting when a jump is coming or when somebody's about to be, you know, attacked or something. But there's a scene, so Bruckner's son is killed. And she is finally, she thinks she's escaped him. And her lawyer shows up who's supposed to pick her up and take her to her father. And she's running up about to hug him. And as the lawyer's coming down, his head just flies clean off. As it turns out that Frau Bruckner, who we thought was down and out earlier, is back. And she just has like a, just a sheet of metal. Yeah, I mean, I it's not a stop sign or anything. It's just... It's just a, a metal sheet. It's just a metal sheet she had lying around, I guess. And she just takes his head clean off with it, and then she tries to kill uh, Jennifer with it when the other best scene of the movie happens. So, obviously, Jennifer has insect powers, which you've talked about, and those come into play towards the end of the film. Bruckner's son chases her into a boat and attempts to kill her with a spear, and as she's screaming, a bunch of insects uh, descend on him, and he stabs the motor. There's fire. He yeah, falls they, the they water, eat his face. They eat his face. But uh, there's no, there no bugs come to save her this time. This time, the chimp. Remember how he said uh, McGregor had a chimp? Well, it saw her kill him, and it's back for revenge. And out of nowhere, it starts to stab her to death with a, just like a scalpel that it found no, in the trash. No, it's um. Uh... A, a straight razor. A straight razor. That's correct. <laughs> yes. And it murders her to death. And then uh, Jennifer and the monkey embrace. Yeah. The end. No, that the the final 20 minutes are just thing after thing after thing. Jennifer goes to uh, Bruckner's house. Bruckner, I guess, tries to poison her. Jennifer crawls through a tunnel under the house to like some secret underground weird it almost looks like a facility down yeah, there it's obviously she's using she's got some sort of pool where she's just yeah just a giant bottom giant bodies. pool full of dead bodies a the inspector there's an inspector who's been trying to solve this case uh brooker has him chained up down there and well the thing is, is the inspector is so barely in the movie right that until you get to that you know part where she finds him and he just says 
my name is Inspector Geiger. I'm here to help you. It's like, oh, I had no clue who you were throughout this movie. Uh, and he he's chained to a wall and he breaks his hands to free himself from the wall and beats. Well, we think he beats her to death, but we, you know, he beats Frau Bruckner with his broken, bloodied hands. And so, all right, we've ended the movie. And then Jennifer finds a little boy and runs. And then you have the confrontation on the boat. And it's like, there's so many points where it could just end. And instead, they just throw something else at you. No, and uh, one thing that some people... I didn't think this was a problem, but some people complained that this movie was a little slow-paced. But once you get to the very end, it's nothing but, like, mini climaxes strung together. I think that, for the most part, throughout the movie, there's enough atmospheric kind of cool scenes that it makes up for the some of the slowness i'm gonna be honest i liked the slow burn in this movie Mm -hmm. especially since with the music and just the cinematography and just kind of i don't know the vibe of the movie uh it's got a lot of atmosphere and it's got a lot of character and there's just a lot of interesting things to see i i enjoyed that i didn't think it was too slow at all yeah this movie you said vibe this movie definitely has a pretty strong atmosphere to it uh, the music, though, the music sometimes kills it for me. This movie uses licensed music in different parts. Which is the first time an Argento film really did that because, and they worked with him on this one too, but Argento typically uses a band called Goblin. And they're kind of a progressive rock band and they've done a lot of music for various movies. And the parts that Goblin did in this movie are fantastic. Are fantastic. Like, uh, you can see it if you go to the Instagram page. I uh, added it to the post where I show the movie poster. But if not, go on like YouTube and look for the main theme. It's really good. However, they also use a little Iron Maiden. Motorhead. They used Motorhead and some... Teen Sex Gang. Right. A the band classic. Had, uh, never heard of. You're right. They don't sound... With a name like that, I don't think I'll be uh I think they're post-punk it. or something. I don't know. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway... Anyway, the problem is, is why this could be cool. One, the editing with that music's not very good. For one, it sounds like it's being played from, like, an old cassette deck. Well, it's the 80s. <laughs> That's true, but, I mean, and maybe they could clean that up in the print or something, but, I mean, when you listen to, when you watch other movies that from the 80s that have licensed music, it's a little higher quality. I think, really, with the music, it might have been Argento's idea. He might have been like, yes, I want this music in this movie, but... It feels almost like they made the movie and then somebody somewhere decided, hey, here's these songs. I want them in this movie. And so they're just plopped in there. And, and there's no like it. They don't like slowly like edit it in. It's just like they'll be quiet and then all of a sudden the music will just start playing full blast. Yeah. We last episode we talked about Manhunter and how there's a scene that where the song takes over. But the thing is, is in that movie, the song makes sense and it fits the vibe and everything. And it it even sets up the scenes that come after it. But this is, you'll have a scene that is, you know, it's, it's the music that should be there should be building the tension or, I mean, even fast paced music for the chases, but instead it's, 
here's this cool Iron Maiden song that's got a really cool sound to it. And it's really distracting from whatever is going on on the screen. No, yeah, that was one of my big complaints. And part of the reason it's such a big complaint is because, once again, I got to stress, when they're not doing that, the music's really good. No, the music should have just all been Goblin. Right, just let them do the whole thing, okay? They know what they're doing. Um, and you've worked with them before. I, I It could have been Studio Intervention. I think this was Argento. It was probably choice. Argento, yeah. I, I don't know why he did that. Maybe he thought it would help sell the movie, because I will say the movie did... It, and that was a trend in the 80s. Mm-hmm, and... He didn't direct this movie, but he produced a movie called Demons, and that used a lot of similar kind of music. But in Demons, that worked because that movie is that movie's just nuts. But this movie is nuts, but it leans more on the atmosphere than just like yeah, fast-paced is... adrenaline. No, this movie doesn't strike me as trying to be cheap, but. The scenes with, like, the Iron Maiden sometimes feel a little cheap. That and that being said, I think you even told me that you saw, like, movie posters where it, like, advertised <laughs> that, like, it had music from Iron Maiden and Motorhead. So maybe they did think it was going to help. No, they I like, probably did think it was going to help. And some of the music, it's like, like, for instance, one of the Iron Maiden songs in there, I'm like, yeah, I'd listen to that on my own. I just don't think it should have been in the movie. Yeah, no, in the movie. Or maybe the ending credits. If hey, it's it's a type of uh, you, you can buy the soundtrack and enjoy that mixtape, but in the context of the actual movie, it it doesn't belong, especially when Jennifer sleepwalks. That's uh, part of the the film. Is the uh, sleepwalking scenes are really they're they're cool. They're a little surreal, but not too surreal to take you out of the the film. No, but suitably dreamlike. Suitably dreamlike. Very good. Well said. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, parts of those those scenes are broken up by metal music that doesn't belong there. But again, the Goblin soundtrack. Just, just go and listen to the Goblin soundtrack. Go listen to any Goblin soundtrack. Yeah, I mean, Suspiria, Deep Red... I think they did Tenebrae too, didn't they? Uh, yeah, they did Tenebrae, and they also did Dawn of the Dead. Um, Dario Argento and George Romero, who did the Night of the Living Dead and those zombie films, uh, they were uh, sort of friends, and so Argento sent Goblin to Romero. Which worked out really well in that soundtrack too. It's like Goblin can do no wrong. Exactly. Big Goblin fans here. <laughs> and this is the only place, though, it really that we discovered them was watching these movies. But uh, to move away from the music for a second, I think one thing that also uh, that was good for this movie was the decision to film it in the Swiss Alps. Yes. And especially since there's a lot of scenes where they kind of put a uh, big emphasis on the fact that that's where they are. They'll talk about, like, the wind coming down from the Alps. There's, and how it drives people mad. And... There's constantly wind blowing. Right. In fact, I think one of the Goblin tracks is called The Wind. Uh, <laughs> uh, though they also make, I don't know if I quite buy this, but they also sometimes refer to uh, the area they're in as like the Transylvania of Switzerland. The The first time watching it, I didn't think anything about that other than, oh, that's kind of, that's kind of neat. But watching it again this time, there, it's early in the film, Jennifer's in the car heading to the uh, the girl's school and 
Frau Bruckner says uh, they call it the Transylvania of you know Swiss Alps, and Jennifer's like, why they say that? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because then Donald Pleasant says it again later in the movie. Uh, you know, he he has a little bit more. He gives a little more detail, right? But yeah, so I like that they filmed it there not only because it's it's beautiful and it leads to some interesting scenes, but also the scenes where she's in the countryside, like uh, when. Uh, the first girl is murdered, and then later when she goes to investigate the murder house, uh, it's really interesting because, I don't know, it's just, it feels very isolated. They really feel like they're in the middle of nowhere and there's no one who can help you. Yeah, this movie, I mean, this movie has a lot of night scenes, but it has a lot of day scenes that are still, it's like, just as atmospheric as the night scenes are. And because it feels so isolated, the day scenes are still creepy. Yeah, I actually I think I'd almost prefer uh, all those scenes that are during the day as opposed to the night because the the night are I think they're not special like they're they're kind of like this is a horror movie night mm-hmm. scene as opposed to the the day scenes where they're really cranking the music and just the way everything looks just all this open countryside nobody for miles. But it's not the desert. <laughs> yeah, no. I'd love to disappear into a place like that, provided nobody was trying to murder me. And a, a little boy with a weird spear. Yeah. Not, not hunting you down. His, uh, crazy mother. But yeah, no, I liked the location. I thought the cinematography was interesting in a lot of it. No complaints there. I will say one thing that uh, is really interesting in this movie was the inventiveness with the special effects. Yes. Um, I think a lot of the budget went to getting bugs for this movie, even though flies are the main thing seen in this movie. Right, but I mean, for some of the scenes too, like where uh, in Donald Pleasance's house where he has all his samples and stuff, I, they like imported a lot of stuff from like Africa. Yeah. They had like black widows and cockroaches and grasshoppers of various sizes. Tarantulas. Tarantulas. Probably a scorpion or two. I mean, Lord, despite not being the most notable scene in the movie, uh, the scenes there might be some of the most expensive. Yeah, and they're, I mean, I, I'm a bug guy, so I, I i thoroughly enjoyed this movie. But they there are several scenes where there are giant swarms of flies, and when they aren't cutting to real shots of all of these flies, they, uh... The, the special effects people put coffee grounds into a fish tank and then superimposed uh, slowed-downed footage of that over the various scenes in the film. And you know what? It looks really good. doesn't if, look like coffee at all. If they, if they had done that today, they would have just done some sort of crappy, cheap CGI effect and been done with it, and it wouldn't have looked near as good. This is, uh, you know, only slightly related, but... There's a lot of special effects that involve the use of a fish tank and random junk in a fish tank. Yeah, you were telling me about that. Uh, Well, I won't go into detail of how they did it, but the Thing burn-in title for John Carpenter's The Thing is a fish tank. (laughs) Million and one uses for fish tanks from Rambling Bones. (laughs) Um, another cool thing they did was uh, there's scenes where Jennifer is following the great sarcophagus fly we talked about before. And I guess Dario had done this as a kid because he's a real weirdo. <laughs> I-, I love you, Dario. <laughs> but um, uh, 
they actually had the fly on a little nylon leash. Yeah, I've, I've... And you know what? I was looking for the leash this time. Could not see it. Yeah, I mean, I I couldn't see it either, but I I believe that it's true solely because I saw a meme video from, like, years ago of some guy who caught one of these flies in a little leash and just spent the day with it. <laughs> and so when I, I read that Argento knew how to do it, I was like, oh, this is a thing people know how to do. Well, it's kind of cool, though, because when you go and watch the scene now, that's really the same fly floating around. <laughs> uh, it's not been it's not some sort of special effect. She just she just has it on a very hard to see leash. Yeah. Um, another cool one was when uh, Frau Bruckner's poor monstrous child <laughs> dies. Um, they coated the actor in glucose and just sent, uh, just released tons and tons of flies. And man, that must have been an uncomfortable experience. Yeah, I, I'm so hoping he really is covered in flies. Being he's not really being eaten alive, but it probably felt like it. Yeah, I'm hoping that he had a layer between him and the glucose. Well, probably because he was still also in his makeup, which must have been very extensive. Yeah. Even then, I can just imagine the flies finding every little crevice. and ugh. Trust me, I would have charged extra for that. And I like flies, okay? I wouldn't even swat a fly. <laughs> That's how peaceful I am. Well, you know, I heard when they made the Candyman... Uh, the actor playing the Candyman in that movie, Tony little, Todd, Tony Todd, uh, had it like in his contract that he received like an extra so much money for every like time he got stung. You well, know? so <laughs> who but, can afford that? Well, I gotta say, well, evidently they did it, and uh, I'm sure he's glad that he did it because it sounds like he got stung plenty. He must have been a trooper. Yeah, but yeah, I'm just saying this. This guy should have gotten something similar in his contract. I don't, I don't know how that would have worked out exactly. Well. But, you know. I'm not an expert on Italian filmmaking, but I'm going to guess that that type of thing doesn't fly over there. <laughs> Just be grateful to be in the movie. Just be grateful you're in the movie. Um, another thing is uh, we talked about the kid with the uh, deformed kid. Uh, the makeup prosthetics or whatever they used, uh, that looked really good too. You don't see a lot of it in the movie. They wait till the very end to reveal it and they don't overexpose it, but it was downright frightening looking. Yeah, I'd say... Pretty much all of the special effects in this movie are pretty good. The only time that I was cognizant that it was a special effect was early at the very beginning of the movie. The first girl to get killed, she when she's in the murder house, she's getting the crap kicked out of her by a POV shot. <laughs> and her hand gets stabbed by a pair of scissors. and It doesn't bleed. It it a it doesn't bleed, but also it just it looks like they're stabbing a rubber hand just by how it reacts and moves when being stabbed. Well, and I noticed that, but I didn't notice it until I watched it the third time because everything happened so fast. Yeah, it's a pretty quick scene. And like I said, I know we've picked a lot of things apart. Mostly, I think this was a really good movie. I think this is a very definition of a cult film, though. It's one that it's a little out there. It's definitely off the beaten path. It's definitely not a critic film, but if you're looking to see something interesting that you've never seen before, this movie does have a lot to offer. Yeah, and I, I mean, at the very beginning, I said this movie is like 
the least great of Argento's great movies, but it's still in his great movie catalog. Right, and when we were saying that, it's you got to think that it's competing against films like Suspiria um, and Deep Red. Movie, we'll probably talk about Deep Red at some point. That's another, that's a really good movie. Yeah. But uh, those, those are just top movies in their genre, period. So that was not a dig at Phenomena. I I would like to to read something actually for our audience. Oh boy. Um so I didn't know you could read. I, I'm full of surprises. So another staple of Argento is him saying crazy things about his movies. Um I believe it was Tenebrae he said that Tenebrae is like a murder like a standard murder mystery. And according to Argento, it takes a place in the post-apocalyptic world where uh, there aren't many people left. And if you watch that movie, you know that that's complete nonsense. No, and I mean, some of the streets do look a little emptier, but I think that was his excuse for not being able to hire like 50 more extras. But I would, I would like to read what Phenomena is actually about. This is straight from the horse's mouth. When I was thinking of Phenomena... I imagined that between 1940 and 1945, there had been a very serious incident, the war, and that the Nazis had won. After 30, 40 years, the people had wiped this dramatic event from their memories and didn't talk about it anymore. In reality, though, the Nazis won the war, and life, therefore, has a totally different vibe. It's a world where the Nazi order won. If the movie is watched attentively, then it is obvious that from that perspective, whoever made it was working from this principle. Okay, so I'm going to tell you what. I knew this quote, and I watched it attentively. And I'm sorry if I'm a little vulgar here, but bullshit. (laughs) Yeah, um, I I feel like... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, it, it leaves me speechless every time. I think the only way you could come upon that is if you heard that and then you wanted to think you were smarter than you were, so you, like, made yourself see it. I don't know. Maybe some of you guys see it. If you do, let us know in the comments why you see it. But I, I think that's BS, and I think I can't think... I can think of a few possibilities of why he said that. One is that he's just a crazy person. <laughs> uh, two, because it sounded good to say... Or three, and this is, if I was a director and people kept asking me things about film, my films, I would probably make up the most ridiculous stuff just to screw with them. But I don't think that's what he's doing. So, I, this is all in, in my head canon, whatever, uh, but I, I would, I'd be inclined to say it's him screwing with uh, people because I know... His his work is always heavily criticized for uh, having violence against women in it. Cause, I mean, it's a slasher movie. And uh, I know that that was something he got very tired of being criticized about. So, so you think maybe he was feeding them BS? It, I, if he's hostile to, you know, reporters, then yeah, I would, I would assume that that's BS. But at uh, the I same so. time, uh, he is sort of certifiable and that is... 
it is possible that that is what he was thinking. And the only, only justification that he could be saying that, or like, the the only evidence watching the movie is maybe just because Jennifer is, like, unreasonably persecuted by, like, every single person who isn't Donald Pleasance. Right, though, I don't know why she... Why, uh, in a Nazi regime, she would be especially, uh, <laughs> I don't think she's Jewish. Corvino's not exactly a very Jewish name. Yeah, and uh, originally her dad was supposed to be Al Pacino, but Al Pacino said, no. That's weird, don't do that. <laughs> don't, I don't have a daughter, I don't want to have a movie about my fake daughter, don't do that. So they, they just made up a actor named, like, what, Paul Cor- Corvino or something Yeah, Paul like that. Corvino. So, yeah, I... I don't know. Well, speaking of things that are bonkers, um, one, so I know we were a little hard on Jennifer earlier, but don't think she didn't earn her career. Uh, the monkey that we talked about hated <laughs> Jennifer. Um, if I'm reading what I've read correctly, specifically Jennifer, at one point, Jennifer the, had part of her finger bitten off by the monkey and had to go to the hospital to have it surgically reattached which what that was funny to me i mean it'd be less funny if her finger didn't get reattached i'm sure that was a horrible bite but it was funny to me because when i first watched it i'm like wow they this monkey must have been really easy to work with like because the monkey scenes are great this is (laughs) this is gonna sound stupid but as far as animal actors go this monkey was really good yeah (laughs) but uh, apparently uh apparently it was not a very good co-worker they had to use body doubles for some of the scenes because it didn't want it to attack jennifer it also uh left a uh, scar on the actress who played frau bruckner's neck uh because even though they blunted the um uh the straight razor the straight razor uh (laughs) apparently uh pardon my pun here but uh it it went ape on her with it (laughs) Wow, it's it's really getting into character. It's murdering her. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny though, because I mean, the monkey didn't come off as cheesy in the movie, and uh, it, like I said, I, you know, they got a good performance out of it. But like, I guess that's why Bones always tells me. What do you always tell me, Bones? I uh, I really, I don't. Uh, why don't you tell me what I always tell you? Never work with animals or children. I first do. World of Hollywood. I do say that. Uh, I uh, <laughs> don't do it. It's and, bad. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm glad that uh, I didn't have to work with them. And this monkey had been in movies before. Do you remember what the monkey's name was? It, think, uh, um, was, it, was it like Tonga or something? Tanga. Tanga. That's right. Tanga, Tanga the, the chimp. Monkey. Yeah. I, uh, don't work with Tanga. Yeah. I, I think... Tanga's probably not still alive, but it, it, if she <laughs> is, don't work with her. The only thing about Tanga that I I might have to say is I, I found it a little distracting. I couldn't tell if it was a massive tumor or its butt but it's got this i'm pretty sure it's like a tumor on its back i don't know it could just be a monkey with a weird butt i, I don't it know could but it is a little strange i noticed that too it was is a little like i hate to be mean to to the chimpanzee oh, body sh- his first roman now you're gonna body shame <laughs> the chimp i i just i I feel like if I was the director, I'd be like, why can we get a more photogenic chimpanzee? I would have put the uh, chimpanzee in little little pants because that'd be funny. Well, yeah, that would have been hilarious. If you've got a chimpanzee in a movie, 
it's it's law that it must wear people clothes. I think it was literally in a movie called like Oingo Boingo or something. <laughs> or no, it was like or Bingo Bongo, something like that. So, I think Bingo know. Bongo or Bingo something Bongo. like that. Bingo Boingo's a band. Yeah, Danny Elfman's band. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, I think also this is a completely side tangent that has nothing to do with the monkey. But I think part of the reason critics were harder on this film, too, was the American release was called. So it got an American release, but 30 minutes of footage was removed. And I haven't watched that cut of the movie. But to cut out a full like 33 minutes of film, it must have been a different experience. Yeah, New Line Cinema did this movie dirty and released it as Creepers. Which is a terrible title for this movie this creepers I, I just see the you know the guy in charge being like ah it's full of bugs and creepy crawlies we'll, we'll call it creepers that makes it sound like it's in that like mini genre the like gremlins and like critters <laughs> was in it's creepers yeah no you watch you you see that title and you think oh there's gonna be like little monsters or at least some sort of monsters not one monster kid and his his mom you don't think it's an italian slasher film for sure yeah but uh yeah well and what's weird too is um so this movie i'm sure this movie will be readily available again but at the time of us recording this uh we couldn't really find any like reasonably priced copies of it we were able to watch it on tubi for free for free but uh the one thing that was interesting, though, about the cut of the film that was on Tubi is it's the full film. It's not missing that 30 minutes. However, there's a lot of periods where it switches from being in English, the English dub, to being in Italian. Mm -hmm. And then it cuts back into being English. I don't know this for sure, but I wonder if when they put it on there, they restored all the parts that were in the original. But since those parts weren't, I guess, originally dubbed for the American audience, they just left them in the language or i don't know maybe something else happened yeah but it was it's a you can still tell what's going on in the movie all the key scenes are in english but there's some parts where it just randomly cuts into like italian and then it cuts back and it's kind of strange i bought a copy of deep red forever ago and it was the uncut whatever version of it and that movie whoever put it out i'm a, i appreciate that they put subtitles in it but the movie is half english half italian and they'll switch what they're which language they're speaking during a sentence well and for that one i'd almost recommend just watch it if you can just find a version that's completely dubbed watch it but however i feel like with this movie that wouldn't necessarily be better because we had american actors in there and the big roles so i mean they're doing their own voices. Yeah. So you'd lose those performances. They yeah, they didn't even bother to give us subtitles for the Italian bits, but the the Italian bits are few and far between and like the duke said, you can you can tell what's going on in the scene. Uh, and until this movie gets re-released cuz once again, me and Bones are big advocates for physical media, but until it gets a reasonable re-release unless you just stumble upon a copy, Tubi is probably your best bet. Also doesn't hurt that it's free. Yeah. One more piece of trivia I'd like to share is, uh, so 
uh, another point where this touches with pop culture. You may not have heard of this or played it, but there was a game in Japan called Clock Tower. Uh, and it was a very important game in, like, the horror genre. It would go on to inspire a bunch of other games and also a bunch of sequels that aren't near as good. But uh, the uh, game, which was released for the Super Nintendo, it might also have been on computers, too. I know it was on Super Nintendo for sure. Yeah. I'm lucky enough to have a copy. But uh, the movie, the scenes in it are very much inspired by, like, Dario Argento and that kind of atmosphere. But the character design for the main uh, character is straight up just Jennifer Connelly from Phenomena. Isn't, does she have a name in the game? I don't, I know she does. It might even be Jennifer. I don't remember for sure. Because in my head, I I think it might be Jennifer in that game. Yeah, it might be. Don't quote me on that. It's hard for me to know because, look, I've seen Phenomena. So when I look at her, regardless of what her name is going to be, I just see, I just see, oh, hey, it's Jennifer. Mm -hmm. It doesn't also help that in this movie, Jennifer is playing Jennifer. I, I have one last thing, and this is something that when we first recorded this, you know, all those months ago, you brought up, and I I didn't see it, but I see it now, and I'd like to bring it up to you again. This movie is just Friday the 13th. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so hear us out here, all right? So if you look at just the last little bit, you know, what movie am I describing right now? A murderous woman is taking revenge for her deformed child who chases our main uh, heroine into a boat uh, where he drowns. Yeah. Kind of sounds a little bit like Friday the 13th. It's it's close enough. (laughs) Uh, Honestly, I don't think they were trying to ape it, but I just think that that's a funny comparison. Yeah, the, the, the fact that the mom is the killer the whole time and then the surprise that, oh, the sun is also here, and He's there's alive. a boat. <laughs> and there's a boat, right? H- However, uh, Jason does not get his face eaten off by bugs at the end of Friday the 13th. No, and Jason's mom doesn't do any kill near as cool as Frau Bruckner taking that guy's head off with sh- a sheet of metal. Like, <laughs> it, it, this, look. So I know that I say it a lot on this podcast to the point that even that this is like what episode 11 is becoming a bit of a cliche, but this is definitely a movie where you're not here to watch it to pick it apart. You're just here to enjoy the ride because the plot is all over the place. There are some holes and there's some strange acting choices and stuff, but this movie is interesting. It's atmospheric and it's certifiable. It's nuts. Just go in and just go in along for the ride, and you'll be in for one hell of a ride, wouldn't you say? I would I fully co-sign that statement, So even, that's what it is. Even with those things that we've picked apart for it, um, we both really enjoyed this movie. Uh, we would not have even bothered to take another swing at this and watch it yet again if we didn't think there was something here. So this is definitely a recommend from the Duke. And a recommend from Bones. Well, Bones, is there? Any, I think I've exhausted what I'd like to say about this movie. Do you have anything else that uh, struck out to you or that you wanted to share? I mean, not really. I think we've done a pretty good job. I think if we talked about it anymore, we would be betting, beating a dead horse. Mm-hmm. Or stabbing it with gloved hands, <laughs> as, as you do on a jallo. As you do. Okay. Well, in that case, that means it's balls back in your court. What are we watching next so... week? So... 
This is very different from everything else we've done previously. Uh-oh. Uh, this will also be the newest movie we'll be watching, or that we've watched so far. But I'd like to talk about the only funny thing Jimmy Kimmel has ever produced. Windy City Heat. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. Uh, D- don't let the word Jimmy Kimmel scare you off from this. I promise you it's good. No, we, we promise you this is actually funny. Unlike, you know... All existing Tonight shows, <laughs> uh, you know, since the death of, you know, Johnny Carson. <laughs> yeah. Tonight hasn't been good since Carson. Okay, so the only thing left to do is if uh, you're listening to us on Spotify, since we're on Spotify now or CastBox, you might think about leaving us a review. If you're on YouTube, you might think about subscribing. Yeah, um, follow us wherever you're listening to us and like, like us wherever you're listening to If you liked it. Right, if you liked it, right? And if you didn't like it, well, uh, tell us about that, too. <laughs> Tough, hit the like button anyway. <laughs> if you didn't like it, you better subscribe or we'll still come to your house. <laughs> <laughs> and we will jallo murder you. In Minecraft. <laughs> In Minecraft. But no, I just, uh, we're really happy with how this podcast is going. I mean, we're st- we've got some videos with 100 views, and I know that's pretty small, but for us, to just being at this for a few months, we're... Pretty happy. With I I don't even know a hundred people. I Bones doesn't even have ten friends, let alone a hundred people. I, hey, I I can't even count that high. Bones can't even count to ten. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, we say that Bones is the editor here. I'm the one who's just along. <laughs> but uh, no, seriously though, starting a podcast is an uphill battle. So if you know people who are interested, let them know and just help us out. We'd love a little bit of feedback. Other than that, I have nothing to say, except for quick before Bones can edit it out, keep it cold. Yeah. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) 